If you're listening to this podcast, it means you're ready to break free from your restaurant running your life. You're tired of working so hard for so little. It's time you get the restaurant you desire and deserve. To do that, you'll have to learn how to make more while working less in your restaurant. So how do you do that? It starts when you book a complimentary success strategy session with the restaurant coach. That's right, a completely free one-on-one session with Donald Burns, the restaurant coach. This is a $500 value that he is giving to listeners of this podcast. During your session, Donald is going to help you get crystal clear about where your restaurant is now and where you wanna be in the next 90 days. He'll even give you a three-step plan to get started. You just need to take action. Just go to therestaurantcoach.com to book your success strategy session now. Loading in three, two, one. Welcome to the Restaurant Coach Podcast. It's the cure for the common restaurant. Expert interviews, tools, and tips to get you the restaurant you know it can be. Now, here is your host, Donald Burns, the Restaurant Coach. And welcome to the Restaurant Coach Podcast. It is the cure for the common restaurant. So let me ask you a question. What's your job? Now, I get asked this question often. People expect me to say, you know, restaurant coach. And they're a little shocked when I say, I don't really have a job. I have a calling. You see, my mission is bigger than a mere job. My mission is to liberate independent restaurant owners from the self-induced shackles of their own restaurants have placed on them while giving them a four-dimensional life. What exactly does that mean? Well, there's this general belief that in order to succeed in the restaurant business, we have to sacrifice one area of our life. You know, our marriage gets put on the back burner. Times with our kids become rare. We neglect our health because we have to work so hard and we don't have time for self-care. Now, here's the thing. How do I know all this? Because that was my life when I opened my first restaurant. I thought knowing how to run a restaurant was all I needed. I didn't know how to build a brand or build a successful life. Now, fast forward 27 years later, and working with thousands of restaurants from around the world. And I now believe that life is meant to be abundant on all levels, body, being, balance, and business. If you activate your inner warrior, you can have it all. Now, I'm launching a new program in January 2024 that is going to give you the keys to having a four-dimensional lifestyle. It is the evolution of restaurant coaching, and it's not for those They just want a successful restaurant, but they want a successful life. Warrior Restaurants is the next step for those of you who know deep down inside that you can be more, that you can have more. And if you're sick of settling for a life that is less than you desire, then you need to head over to www.warriorrestaurants.com and you got to get on the wait list now. I'm going to keep this group very, very small to keep the coaching very personalized. This is the next evolution of restaurant coaching. So if you want it all, get on the wait list now. Okay, now that I have that out of the way, I want to talk to you about a serious topic that most restaurant owners ignore. Food cost. Yes, I know they are a pain in the ass to do. Costing out a recipe is not fun. Well, actually, there are some people who do find them fun, and those people are very, very rare and a little crazy. But for the majority of restaurant owners, it is a thorn in the side that you avoid like a plague. Here's the good news and the bad news. Bad news. If you don't like doing food costing, you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you next. You must know the cost of everything on your menu. Now, here's the good news. Knowing one key thing known as theoretical food costs and actually knowing your actual food cost 
it's it's kind of like finding a gold mine underneath your restaurant. So today, I want to take you into a workshop that I do with my Restaurant Accelerator coaching members. Now, in their coaching program, they follow what all my coaching programs follow is known as the Restaurant Coach Method. The Accelerator program just kind of goes a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole of theory, frameworks, and implementation. And this workshop you're about to listen to is from Food Cost Bootcamp, which is actually a total of eight workshops and it gives them a solid foundation into getting their food cost under control. So sit back and jump into Food Cost Bootcamp and the 40 thieves that steal your profits. Food Cost Bootcamp. We are already done with the people phase of our restaurant accelerator program. Now we're moving into the product phase. Remember, we use what's known as the 3P framework, people, product, process. Unfortunately, most people <laughs> focus on product and process and forget about the people part. That's why we always put the people part first. That's why I was very, very adamant about making sure we do those workshops very first. Now we are going to get into the intricacies of the product part. And of course, this is probably, and I put this one first because number one, it's the most challenging of all three of the product modules. So there's three project modules we follow. And then let me flip the screen here so you can see. So in our restaurant accelerator, we have the food cost boot camp, first part of the product phase. Then we have, of course, the extreme menu makeover, and then the restaurant marketing machine. Everybody wants to do the menu. <laughs> Everyone wants to do marketing. Everyone wants to skip the food cost boot camp. <clears throat> Every time I've ever talked about this, kind of everyone wants to just kind of blow over food cost boot camp. It's that's why I put it first. It is by far, probably the most challenging of all the workshops that we do because it's going to require a lot of work on your end. I'm just going to tell you up front. It's going to require a lot of work on your end to stay up with homework. And that's why I've broken it down into quite a few different modules, sub-modules, because I know it can be very, very overwhelming, and I know most of us have very limited time as it is. But if you accomplish if you follow the module and do the exercises, each and every module, you will find that by the end of this training, you will have a firm, firm controlling grip on your food costs once and for all, and it will never ever own you again. And you will be one of those few people when I go speak at a session and I raise my hand and I usually ask every time I go to a, you know, to a summit or a workshop, I'll ask people, you know, how many people know the cost of everything on their menu down to the penny? And I'm shocked. Only like 3% ever raise their hand. 100 people in the room, three people raise their hand. Isn't that, isn't that sad? I mean, I was at nightclub and bar show, 200 people in the room, six people, seven people raise their hand. That's it. It's one of the most fundamental things about business. If you do not know your numbers, you do not know your business. In fact, I always say you don't have a business. What you have is a hobby, a very, very expensive hobby that's draining you financially, emotionally, and also physically. We're going to stop that. So this workshop, again, it is the hardest of all the workshops I do because there's a lot of steps to it. But I broke it down so it's manageable. I've done this workshop before as like a one day kind of workshop, but it can, tends to be, tends to be a little overwhelming for people. So I decided, let's break this down into the bite-sized steps. I, want, I don't want to give you the whole cow. 
I want to give you a look, little steps along the way so you can actually take a little bite out of the cow. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sub workshops in the food cost boot camp. Today we're going to go over what I call is the 40 thieves of food cost. The 40 thieves is really important because you got to know where the bleeding is coming from. And if you don't have a reliable system or like a checklist, you're never going to be able to kind of really dial in. You can understand your theoretical food costs. You can understand what everything costs in your menu, your menu down to the penny. But if you can't control the bleeding, it does not really matter. That's why this one's a really, really great workshop. And it's one of the foundational ones that I teach. I love it. Um, again, I could easily, 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 easily um, make this into a, you know, an all-day thing. But we're going to break it down into small bites. So seven sub-modules. Food costs, uh, 40 Thieves is first. Then we're going to go to inventory. Then we're going to talk about prep. Then we're going to break it in. Then we're going to start getting into costing out recipes. We're going to talk about batch recipes, how you cost out batch recipes, what actually is a batch recipe. We're going to break it down into plate recipes. And then we're going to talk deep into, we're going to get a really kind of a deep dive into theoretical food costing. I'm going to show you how theoretical food costing works and why it's so critical. And then finally, we're going to use menu engineering. Now there's two modules. Now the next module two, the extreme menu makeover, We'll use menu engineering there too. But in this module, in the food cost bootcamp aspect, we're gonna look at menu engineering as far as profitability, <laughs> not as far as what they, it contributes to the bottom line. So it's kind of a little, di a little different. So you're actually gonna get kind of two kind of, you're gonna get like double, double down on menu engineering. The first part is just gonna be about the cost structure of menu engineering in the food cost bootcamp. And then when we go into the menu, extreme menu makeover, you're going to get into menu engineering as far as how do I use that to design a better, more profitable menu. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's roll. The 40 thieves, 40 thieves, 40 thieves. Start off with a quote. You know me, I love quotes. When you know the impact of little expenses, you will realize that there's nothing little in this world. What does that mean to you? Type in the chat real quick. What does that mean to you? What does this quote mean to you? When you know the impact of little expenses, you will realize that there is nothing little in this world. What does that mean to you? Type in the chat. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Everything adds up. Exactly. Christian nailed it. Everything adds up. This, the restaurant industry is such a small margin. And sadly, the national restaurant average is only 5% of profit. I mean, a nickel. You make a nickel for out of every dollar. I mean, it's, it's so little margins for most restaurants that if you're not watching the little things, they do add up quite quickly and they will overtake you and overwhelm you and take down your restaurant. Of course, that small amounts multiplied end up equaling large sums. Very, very true. There's a thing in financing called compound effect. Compounding is huge. And it's also very, it's very kind of similar in restaurants too. I find 
when restaurants break through that 15% profit margin threshold, and I always say it's kind of a threshold, the first five to six is usually pretty easy. Seven to 12 is not too, not too hard because usually a lot of times it's just some low hanging fruit, some easy stuff they missed. I can get up to 12% pretty fast. 12 to 15 is the hard part. And then once you get past 15, it just seems like your, your profits just start multiplying. I don't know why, but it just seems like once you break through that, that 15% threshold, it just, it's just, a, it just like steamrolls and just really takes off. My goal is to get you there so you can actually easily get to that 18% profit margin. Okay. Hashtag write this down. Know your numbers. I want everyone to make a banner. <laughs> and I want you to put it up in your office. I want you to put it above your in your kitchen. I want you to put this hashtag know your numbers. I want you to write this out in a big banner and I want you to put it everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I want you to remind yourself every day, I gotta, I gotta master my numbers. I gotta know my numbers. Gotta know my numbers. Gotta, 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 gotta. All right. The 40 Thieves of Food Cost. I would love to say I created this, but that would be a lie. <laughs> this has actually been around actually since the 1970s. There was an, a food economist. Uh, I think he was an educator at a like a, one of those uh, restaurants or one of those colleges that had a hospitality program. And he actually came up with these 40 Thieves of Food Cost. So it's nothing, it's nothing new. It's been around for a very, very long time. And I'm always shocked that most people never heard of it and actually never use it, which is not only scary, but very, very sad too. Okay. Now I'm going to give you an overview of all the 40 and then I'm going to break them down into categories. So don't feel overwhelmed. Like, oh my God, I got to write all this down. I'll also give you a copy of this into the replay area as a PDF so you can download it and use it because that's going to be part of your homework anyway. The 40 Thieves of Food Costs, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven categories. And when you look at this thing, it's a pretty big list. We're going to break it down each list, each category, seven categories. I use this 40 Thieves of Food Costs as a checklist. Anytime I have a restaurant having food cost problems, I give them a copy of this and I say, let's go through it line by line and basically cross it off and make sure that's not the problem. If you have food cost issues, I can tell you 100% certainty, it's one of these. 100% certainty, I can tell you, if you have a food cost issue, one of these things is the contributor. And it's usually five to eight is the contributing factor. Five to eight of these things are usually what's usually taking down most restaurants. So let's break them down, shall we? Number one, purchasing. Ah, purchasing, purchasing, purchasing. <clears throat> purchasing too much comes from, uh, basically you don't do inventory. <laughs> You're just guessing. Remember, every time you assume, you make an ass out of you and me. Every time someone on your team purchases or does an order without having an order guide in front of them, with an exact count of what they have in inventory, you are guilty of this. <clears throat> it can also go the opposite way too. 
purchasing too much, also sometimes purchasing not enough too could also be the problem. When I don't purchase enough, what do I have to do usually? Run to the store. When you run to the store, you're not paying wholesale for stuff anymore. Now you're paying retail for stuff. And anytime you go to the store and buying buns or buying hamburger or buying tomatoes at the local grocery store, you are not helping your food cost. You're killing your food cost. Okay. Every time. And also, too, and here's also, too, remember, we talk about time and everyone on the call has told me so many times, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Then why the fuck are you running to the store? <laughs> You're so busy, but yet you can run to the store to go grab five pounds of ground beef. Stop running to the store. Purchasing too much or not purchasing enough is the probably one of the number one things that really kills food cost. Also purchasing for too high of a cost. Now granted, when I'm dealing with my vendors and I wanna to try to get a prime vendor agreement, I want to ask them, and I'm always up front with all my vendors. I always tell them up front, hey, listen, I know you got to make money. I know your salespeople are on commission. I know they got to make money too. Here's what I'm asking. I'm just asking you, give me a fair price. If you're fair to me and honest, I'll be, I'll be loyal to you and I'll keep buying from you. You want to make sure that they understand that you understand food costing. And that you're not just like, you know, oh, hey, send me a case of burger. You want to ask questions. How, how much is that? What's, you know, what's the different grinds? What do I get an 80, 20 or 90, 10 grind? What, you know, what kind of mixes do I get? If I add more brisket to it, I know the price is going to go up. What's the price? Another thing, no detailed specifications. You say tomatoes. You want five by six, six by six. You want choppers. The more detail you can get about your product, the better. I like to have on my order guides, if I find a product I really like, I will have the order number, the product order number on the order guide. So that way, if someone's on my team is doing the order, they know exactly which order, which order number to use specifically. Okay, no purchasing budget. I would, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that probably 95% of restaurants in the world do not have a purchasing budget. They just spend. <laughs> How's that working out? <laughs> Usually not too good. You should always have a budget. Now, this is a great thing to do on your Sunday, your Sunday kind of uh, planning and review day is sit down, look at the numbers last week, estimate what, you know, and give a projection. I know last week we did, you know, 9,200. I think this week we're going to, you know, it's going to be pretty good weather looking at the weather reports, looking at, you know, the season where we're at. I'm thinking, no, this week we can probably do, you know, 10,000 in sales. Now, if my, if my sales are 10,000, if I want to hit a 30% food cost, then I got $3,000 to spend. And that's my purchasing budget for the week. And I tell the guys who are buying the food that week, the guys who are doing ordering, hey, guys. Every time an invoice comes in, I want you to subtract it. I call it a declining budget. I want you to subtract the invoice that just came in from our declining budget. So if I give you three grand and on Tuesday you just spent, you know, 1700 you can't go and spend $2,000, right? 
you want people to be aware of what they're purchasing because I'm telling you, sometimes, I mean, we talked about this number one here is purchasing too much. I don't know how many times I've seen eight cases of toilet paper in a dry storage room. Why? <laughs> Why do you got eight cases? I mean, unless you're like a super huge high volume place and you're like blown through toilet paper, there's no reason to fill up your shelf with product. Everything that sits on your shelf is inventory. Inventory is money. How you're utilizing that resource really depends on if you're really thriving or you're struggling. A lot of people have trouble paying certain things, but if I look at their inventory, they have huge inventories on wine. They have huge inventories on dry storage stuff. They have huge inventories on chemicals. Number five on purchasing is no audit of invoices and payments. A lot of restaurant distributors work on, you know, they work on credit, credit memos. Like, you know, let's say something came in or something didn't come in or you sent something back. And then, hey, can I get a credit for this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they write down they're going to be a credit. You want to check those every once in a while. I'm, I was shocked one time uh, one of my clients had not checked his credits. And he said he had a bunch of credits. But he never got the credits. And it was about it was a couple grand worth of credits that he didn't he didn't take advantage of. And if he didn't start checking periodically, and I'm not saying that your vendors are gonna you know rob you or cheat you, it's just keeping honest people honest. If they know you're looking, they're gonna be less likely to do anything kind of weird. And number six is having too many vendors. Just like if you have a lot of restaurants in your market and let's say you go out to eat every night and you see people that come to your restaurant out at another restaurant having dinner. And then you go out another night to a different restaurant and you see them out at that restaurant too. And then you go out to another night to a different vendor in a different restaurant and you see them out at that restaurant. People tend to feel a little weird about that. It's like, man, you know, man, they're like all over the town, but they're not coming to my restaurant a lot. Well, the same thing with food vendors. Food vendors, they basically, they, they also reward on loyalty, just like you should re reward on loyalty and have a loyalty program for your restaurant. They reward on loyalty too. Having too many vendors is like having too many hens or too many foxes in the hen house. I try to do one primary vendor and I usually have two backup vendors. Try to really kind of consolidate your vendors if you can. Because also, too, there's a hidden cost you don't know about, about writing checks to vendors. Every time you got to write checks, it takes someone's payroll to write to sit down, go through the invoices, double check invoices. The more vendors I have, the more kind of it costs me actually in the long run on the back end in the admin side to actually process those payments. So don't go crazy. And also make sure to streamline your vendors if you can. You'll get a lot better deals if you can streamline to at least, you know, two to three vendors, if possible. That's purchasing. In this list right here of these five of these six things, how many are you doing? <laughs> Let's do a little check-in. Of these six things, how many are you doing? You're purchasing too much, not enough. You're purchasing too high. You don't have any specific details. How many you're guilty of? Don't have a purchasing budget. 
You don't have to tell me which one, just give me a number. You don't audit your invoices or payments. Bren says zero. Bren's on top of it. Chorus at four. Possibly too much wine on hand. <laughs> Brian said three. Good, good. Yeah, the goal is to get to zero. Wherever you're at, just be honest with it and just own it. That's all you got to do. Next one. Receiving. This is when the food gets to your place. Again. Theft by receiving personnel. Something comes in and maybe, you know, someone on your team or, and I hate to say this, and I'm not saying that all drivers, food drivers are like this. And I noticed a lot of food vendors have actually started doing something to fix this. Like um, when I order cut steaks, let's say I order a box of you know, New York steaks and they're supposed to be 14 in a box. I get the box. I don't open the box and count the steaks. And I just accept the box as it is. And then we go to get the box and then it seems like, you know, there might've been maybe one or two steaks missing. And again, not that everyone is like this, but there have been times I have caught drivers taking one or two steaks out of each box on their route to fund their summer barbecue for themselves. And the only thing I wanna say about that is just inspect what you expect. If I order a box of New York steaks and there's 14 in the box, open the box and make sure there's 14 steaks in there. It's, I mean, it's not rocket science. Just and have that part of the process. Another thing, no system for credits. You gotta make sure that your vendor has some kind of system for credits and some way that you can double check your credits. What I like to do is if I'm doing an order and I'm checking an order and I get a credit, and the driver writes on the invoice credit or circle something, I take my phone out, I take a picture of it. And then I send it to my salesperson. Hey, the driver was here this morning. Um, these tomatoes that you guys sent were rotten. So I sent them back. So I got a credit for $33 for tomatoes. Just wanna make sure I follow up on you. Again, I'm just keeping honest people honest. No system for checking in orders. This is probably the number one thing that kills your food costs that you don't think about. Drivers are in a hurry. They run in, they run in through the back door. They got a whole, you know, whole dolly full of food. They stack it and rack it and they leave it on your, you know, in your kitchen. And then they, they shove the invoice in someone's face and say, Hey, can you sign here? And then that person doesn't actually stop and check the order and they sign. And as soon as they sign, they're responsible for it. I've always told drivers, and this is where, again, this goes back to training people how I want to be treated. When I've ever had a client or I've ever had, ran a restaurant, when the driver tries to fast, I, I call it fast stack me, or they just like fast stack my stuff and want me to sign or have someone on the team sign, I say, we don't do it like that here. I'm going to check everything case by case, make sure it's good. And I have actually a process. I'm going to check every case. I'm make sure expiration dates on my dairy, expiration dates on all my products. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna open up the produce boxes. I'm gonna look at the quality of everything, even lemons. 
you'd be shocked how many times you get a case of lemons and the whole bottom of the case is rotten, but you never looked. So now you got 25% loss already starting out. Just remember, slow it down. They don't work. You don't work for the drivers. You don't work for the food vendors. They work for you. Slow it down. Check it in. It's your product. <laughs> I want to make sure everything's perfect. And if it's not, then I say something. If I had a case of lemons and 25% are rotten, I might be able to scrape out the ones I want and then say, listen, I want a credit on 25% of the case. And if they say, well, I can't do 25% credit. Well, then take the whole case back. <laughs> Remember, set boundaries. Hold your standards for yourself. Hold the standards for the quality of food. You have super high standards for the food that you produce and put out to your guests. You want to say if they have the same high standards for the food that comes in through your back door. Lack of facilities or scales. Scales are huge. If you're doing big, huge bulk, like let's say I'm, I'm ordering a lot of like subprimals, like I'm ordering ribeyes or whole New York strips, you know, one by ones or zero by ones, I want to weigh them. Okay. If you have two dark, oh, she says, how do you feel about dark drops? Dark drops are okay, but I have to, I tell them I want to double check stuff and I'm a little bit more, I'm a little more aggressive on the credits if something's not right. And they, they got to know where to put stuff at too. Because that goes to number five, perishable food left out of proper storage. Hashtag write this down. For every half hour your produce is left out of refrigeration, you lose a half a day of shelf life. Every half hour your product, your produce is left out, not refrigerated, left it sitting on the floor of the kitchen, you lose a half day of shelf life. Now do the math. Food was left out for two hours. It's a dark drop. Food was left out for two hours. They didn't put it in the fridge. They left, left it in the, in, you know, in the dish tank on the floor and the, right by the cooler, but they didn't put it in the cooler. It's been sitting out for two hours now. My mushrooms, remember I lose a half a day for every 30 minutes. So that's four, that's two, that's two days. Now I got mushrooms that should last for four days. Now they're only gonna last two days. Perishable food left outside is kicking your ass. Okay. It is kicking your ass. Again, check in. How many of these things are you, are you guilty of? Remember, the goal is zero. Theft by receiving personnel. I remember at one time, this was, God, years ago. I was. It was probably one of my first first or second, it was like, I think it was like my second executive, executive chef job. I was, I was in my 20s. I was probably like 27, 28. And I was the executive chef of a hotel. And I ran uh, three restaurants and the, and the banquets at this hotel. And I remember like my shrimp prices. I mean, my shrimp just seems like, man, we were blowing through shrimp, blowing through shrimp. And then one day I just kind of, I, I looked at the cameras and I actually found that the guy I thought was really cool was my dishwasher guy in the morning. He was checking in orders, but he was taking one or two boxes of shrimp, throwing them in garbage bags, and then throwing them in the trash, and then having his family come by and pick up a couple boxes of shrimp. I was feeding his family shrimp. 
I didn't really, until I started looking at my, remember that goes back to looking at my invoices, tracking my stuff, like, man, it seems like we're blowing through a lot of shrimp. And then we look at the POS system, like, there's just no way the math works out. I'm missing like a hundred shrimp here. I mean, we don't sell that many shrimp Alfredos. I was like, man, there's something wrong here. And I just, you know, again, it's, it was a red flag. So it got me down the spiral and I started checking. And then when I found out, yep, that's what he was doing. His family was eating shrimp. They were eating good. Remember, inspect what you expect. If people know you're watching, they're less likely to take stuff. Storage. Again, food properly uh, improperly placed in storage. I'm going to flip screens real quick. And I'll, I'll give you a copy of this. This is a really good, this is a good chart. It's a poster, actually. It's from Marcon. And this poster says where you should put stuff according to your cooler. <laughs> it's really cool. So like in the back where the fan is at, this is the stuff you want in the back by the fan. Artichokes, beaks, coconuts, corn, grapefruit, green, stuff like that. In the center of the cooler is where you want your fresh cut salad, your avocados, green beans. Towards the front of the cooler or by the drain is where you want these things. Bell peppers, cucumbers, honeydew, lemons, limes. And then outside is where you want these things. This would be a really cool poster to have. I'll, I'll put it in the replay. And I would again, it's a PDF. I think it says eight and a half by 11. Print out a bunch and educate your team. Don't just hang it. Remember, explain the why. And then look at your cooler. Make sure your cooler is kind of organized by this. Very cool. I love that thing. Marcon has a lot of resources too. Um, Marcon.com. Uh, and it's M-A-R-K-O-N.com. They also have, I'll show you another thing too. If you go to Marcon.com, they also have a trends report you can download. They'll tell you what fall 21 is going to look like. And they'll tell you what's happening. They'll give you some ideas. You know, it's kind of cool. What's the hot list of stuff they got going. So it's kind of cool. I'll download this too and give it to you. I'll put it in the replay. But the Marcon.com is a great resource. You can see they have all their trends here. Fresh crop reports. You can see what the fresh crop reports are. And they put these things out every, I think they put them out like once a week. It's pretty cool. They have tons of free resources. There's a produce guide in here too, if you wanna look at produce. They have yield calculators, which is really cool too. They'll tell you what the yield is on stuff. They do some, some really cool yield stuff. Course, you got the printables too. You got food safety posters, hand washing posters, norovirus, and then they got the cooler layout, and then they got the hand hand washing in French. If anybody in your restaurant speaks French, that's a good one to have. Allez-vous français? Oui, oui. Right, food pro improperly stored. Number two, storage at wrong temperature and humidity. Again, that goes back to here's my thing about humidity and hashtag write this down cardboard kills produce cardboard is a great way to transport produce it's not the way to store produce 
Cardboard is an insulator. When I take those cardboard boxes that come in, my produce comes in cardboard boxes and I leave them in the cardboard boxes, it attracts humidity, also attracts mold, attracts mildew, and it will ruin the shelf life. You want to, you, if you can, all possible, you want to switch to clear Cambros for storage of your produce. One of my biggest pet peeves when I'm running a restaurant is cardboard on the shelves. I hate cardboard on the shelves. I don't want to see cardboard on the shelves. I thought that was better for mushrooms. Mushrooms is fine. Because you want mushrooms, you want to leave the lid on them too, because mushrooms don't do well with light. So mushrooms always have that little lid on there. I keep the lid on the mushrooms, and I, but I can also keep them in the back of the cooler where there's little light. I pick the darkest spot in the cooler for my mushrooms. Let's see, there's another thing too. Did you guys know there's certain fruit produces ethylene gas? What is ethylene? Ethylene is actually, they call it the ripening hormone. Have you ever gotten tomatoes from your, uh, from your vendor and they kind of look like they're red, but they're not really ripe? It's because what they do is they gas them. They use ethylene. There's certain foods that actually produce ethylene. Okay. So if I have, let's say I have my apples stored above my lemons in my cooler. Lemons produce a lot of ethylene gas. Citrus products, uh, citrus produce produce a lot of ethylene. When I put it, uh, when I put that stuff basically above it, ethylene gas, of course, gas rises. Ethylene gas will actually ripen those stuff faster than if I had them on separate shelves and away from each other. Like broccoli is really low, Brussels sprouts are really low. Ethylene gas will actually kill stuff. And I want to make sure I'm always separating my stuff that produces ethylene gas. Now, some, some uh, vendors will actually induce or induct or use ethylene gas in their warehouses to ripen stuff faster so they can move the product. Got to be aware of it. I'm looking, there was a guide I had about ethylene gas. See if I can find it. Uh, no daily inspection of stored goods. No daily inspection of stored goods. It's another huge thing that you got to watch. You got to walk your coolers daily. 
this is where I put, remember how you guys have, I, and if you've been to the boot camp, you know, I put little timers, alarms on your phone, right? This is a great tool to use. That's a great tool to use for your kitchen personnel. Walk the cooler, organize the cooler. Have it go off maybe every hour, except during during uh, lunch service or dinner service. But every hour on the hour, I have a I have a you know I have a little rally. Walk the cooler, clean the cooler, organize the cooler. What's those little alarm nudges do? They create new habits. Remember, most of your team has a bunch of bad habits. How do we get them to do new habits and better habits? Is we got to nudge them. And the best way to do that is use alarms. Most simplest way in the world, one of those little wind-up timers that you have those little kitchen timers that wind up for an hour. I wind it up at nine o'clock. When it goes off at 10, walk the coolers, clean the coolers. Walk the coolers, clean the coolers. Now I'll give them a break between, you know, during lunch service. I won't make them do it then. But as soon as lunch is over at two o'clock, two to three, two o'clock, walk the coolers, clean the coolers, three o'clock, walk the coolers, clean the coolers. Four o'clock, watch the coolers, clean the coolers. 4.30, pre-shift. You want to remember, you want to start creating new habits with them. Unorganized storage area is another huge thing. No physical inventory system. Oh my God, I'm shocked how many people do not have an inventory system. They, just do, the, they do the order by walking around. You got to have an order guide. You got to have a par list. When we talk about inventory next week, you're going to see you got to have a really, really solid order guide or else you are screwed. All right. Lack of single responsibility for food storage. Who's responsible for your dry storage room? Who's responsible for your walk-ins? Who's responsible for the freezers? You want to assign someone in your team. Is that their, that's their area of responsibility. And it's not you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's not you. I want you to assign someone on your team areas of responsibility and make sure they understand, okay? And then no control or record of food issued from storeroom. Now that's, that's more if I'm doing, if I'm a large corporation or like in a hotel where I got food going out, like maybe I got food coming into a common, common area and it's going out to different venues. Like I got a couple of different restaurants. Or if I'm scaled my restaurant big enough, like, like Christian's working on to the point where, you know, her third or fourth location, she's going to have a commissary. So now commissary food has to be recorded and issued from the commissary to going out to different locations. But we'll talk about that, Christian, when we get to that. Okay. But you got to have some kind of control records. Or if I'm doing catering too. When food comes in for catering, how do I separate that? I got to make sure I'm separating and understand what food is going to catering and stuff like that. Or if you don't run a ghost kitchen, like Kevin has a couple ghost kitchens running out of the same restaurant. How am I tracking the food that goes to that compared to what food is going to the restaurant? You got to have a system for it. Everything's controllable if you have a system. Let's talk about preparation, prep. Again, excessive trim on vegetables and meats. I see this is a common one. And this is basically from experience. I see it mostly in vegetable, like, uh, you know, zucchini and squash. My dad was so anal <laughs> <laughs> about the trim on the end of the zucchini 
that if it was bigger than a quarter, he would like be pissed. It had to be like, like you had to like be so precise getting just the ends cut off. He wanted the most usable product available. And I see it in restaurants a lot of times, people doing bell peppers. They cut the tops and bottoms off the bell pepper and then they throw them away. I see people doing it all the time, especially with meat, especially if you're fabricating and cutting your own meats. There's probably a lot of waste you have there. If you're not good at cutting meat, trust me, it's far better to get portion controlled steaks or seafood. If you do not have someone on your team who's a seasoned, experienced butcher, has butchery skills, can fabricate subprimals or fabricate fish, it is so much, I'm telling you, you're going to save more money by using pre cuts. Even though they're going to be more expensive on the front end, you don't lose out and bleed out on this back end here. Number two is another big one too. No check on raw yields. You got to know what the yield is on all your recipes. So many times I see people who give me recipes and I say, let me see your recipe file. And they have the recipes, but I say, what's the yield in this? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, it makes uh, about a gallon, about. Anytime anybody ever says to me about, I know you don't know shit. <laughs> okay. I love that one. Hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, hey, Ted, what's your food cost? Uh, it's about 33. Uh, so basically, you're just making shit up. You don't fucking know. <laughs> about nothing. You need to know. Remember? Hashtag know your numbers. Oh, my food cost is 32.3. That's what I want to hear. And then number three is another huge thing. No secondary use of items. And this comes from the culinary side. Chefs are the number one guilty, com guilty components of this one. They want to have really cool shit on their menu. And they buy this really, really cool stuff that they only use on one dish. <laughs> I had a guy, this guy's mentioned in my book, Your Restaurant Sucks. If you listen to the audio, it's under the chapter called Foolish Pride. The guy wanted this really, really super expensive imported Italian cheese. And I said, what are you using it on? He just used it only as a finishing product. He used a microplane and just grated it on top of a, a bucatini, you know, a, a bolognese pasta. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's spending, I mean, and they had to like special order this cheese. They had to hold it in bulk. It came in this huge wheel. He never, you know, it came in this huge, huge wheel of it. He never could use it up before a quarter of it would always be moldy by the end of the week and he'd have to throw some out. But he was so adamant. I got to have that cheese. That's my finishing cheese. I got to have that finishing cheese. It was the stupidest thing in the world. Cost them thousands and thousands of dollars because of his foolish pride and his ego. You got to be able to look at everything on your menu everything in your inventory and say, what is the secondary usage of this? Where else can I use this at? All right. Check-in time of these three things. Which ones are you guilty of? Zero to three. On preparation, zero to three. I'm going to say, and I've been at a couple of your restaurants. <laughs> I'm going to say, 
If you say zero, you're lying to yourself. Most of you are guilty of number one, <laughs> excessive trim on your vegetables and your meat. And sometimes we got second, no secondary uses of items. If you really want to maximize your potential and maximize your profitability, you want to start making sure that we're using, we're maximizing our secondary usage of items. And we're going to get more into that too when we get into the extreme menu makeover as well. So don't worry. We're going to jump into it a little bit deeper, as they say. Next up, production. Again, production, another huge killer. Overproduction. This is going to go to our prep, our prep kind of sub workshop when we talk about prep. Not having adequate PARs or not having accurate PARs is, again, the number one thing that kills restaurants. I hate going to restaurants and I see people struggling overproduction. Overproduction is a huge thing. If I don't tell the team every day what I want to produce, the amounts I want to produce, how I want to produce it, they will make up their own standards. If anyone has a whiteboard in your kitchen that you're putting your prep list on, I will rip that fucking thing down when I come to your place. Okay. I hate whiteboards in the kitchen with a prep list. God, I hate that. The only time I'll ever, ever accept a whiteboard in the kitchen is you've used the whiteboard the proper way, which the proper way is I basically use the whiteboard and let's say it's like me, Brian, and Cora working in a restaurant. I would write on the whiteboard, Donald, Cora, Brian, and I would write your prep list for each person on that in that thing, but I would also put it in by priority too. When you come in, the stuff at the top is the stuff I want you to knock off first, and then you get to the bottom. Do not come in, and for the love of all that's holy, do not come in and cherry pick my goddamn prep list. That will piss me off more than anything. Come in, and I got like, you know, fire roasted salsa. I've got, you know, cut steaks. I got this and this and this. And they go down to diced tomatoes. And they knock that one off because it's easy to do. Remember, this goes back to the five things we talk about, our daily five sermon. Standards expectations, number four. If I do not tell you how I want it done, when I want it done by, you will make up your own time. You will make up your own standard. Stop that shit. You have to control the production. I tell them exactly what I want it done, when I want it done by. And if I got someone moving slow, like say, you know, like, and then Corey had this a while ago, some new people on the team in the kitchen, not really, you know, very, very, you know, green as far as kitchen experience. I'm writing down their times. I'm giving them a prep sheet with a time and I'm giving them a stopwatch. Hey, how long does it take you to cut tomatoes? How long does it take you to, you know, to half up, you know, do a whole case of, of uh, Brussels sprouts and cut them in half? Hey, okay. Hey, today was you, you, you did it in 25 minutes. Tomorrow, what I want you to work on, I want you to get it down to 22. Remember, if I don't set the expectations, they just do the same thing. Parkinson's law is the biggest huge thing that you can use for production. Parkinson's law works to expand your contracts, meet time obligated. I have to control the time. People are shitty at controlling their own time. Come on, look at your own calendars. Goddamn. Everyone here has a hard time managing their calendar as it is. You think the people that work with you have a, can are actually better at time management than you? Hell no. Remember, everything I coach you on is you coach them on. You got to help them understand how to create better habits. Now, some people are self-driven. Like, I'm self-driven. When I worked in the kitchen with my dad when I was 15, 16, I was doing prep. 
I would try to get faster. And I would actually want to time myself to see how fast I could get it. But I'm different. I'm self-driven. Everyone on this call is self-driven. Most people that work with you are not self-driven. Remember, they're high pace usually. They like the same routine. They like easy keel. They don't like pressure. They like just to hum along and do the thing they do. Right. Production number two, wrong cooking method. Wrong method of cooking. This is where sometimes people, and this goes from experience too, is maybe like they're not doing it the right way. Maybe they don't understand there's like certain cooking procedures that might be able to get a better yield out of something too. Cooking at incorrect temperature. This is the number one rookie mistake of all brand new saute guys. Just because the burner goes up on high, they think they gotta cook everything on high. Unless you're really good. Not, I don't even cook on high. If I've got more than five pans going, and there's no way I can do all five pans on all high temp at the same time. I turn it down a little bit. I know, and this is another thing, hashtag control the flame, all right? You hear it a lot in kitchens. You hear chefs saying a lot to their team, control the fire, control the fire, control the fire, control the flame, control it. Just because it goes up on high doesn't mean you have to cook it on high. That's a training issue, right? Cooking or holding product for too long of a time period. This is where those guys, this is again, goes back to your kitchen guys are a little lazy and they fill up a whole half pan of mashed potatoes. And about three-fourths away through, you know, I notice you're walking on the line and you're adding cream and butter to them because they're drying out. Wouldn't it be a little bit better, a little better, better quality if they did them like in third pans and just like re refreshed them? And that way we got fresher product out. Instead of overloading that goddamn hotel pan, and, the, and I've seen it before, the half pan of mashed potatoes piled up eight. 10 inches out of the pan. There's no way that shit's warm <laughs> on the top. And number two, the shit in the bottom is going to be so overcooked. The starches are going to break down. Do not let people be lazy. Do not let your cooks be lazy. This goes back to non-negotiables. I'd rather do smaller portions, reheated, and how can I reheat? Sometimes you're like, well, Donald, you know, hey, man, sometimes we get busy, man. I'm jamming through potatoes. How, how do I keep that stuff going? I got two words for you. Sous vide. <laughs> sous vide is probably one of the most incredible techniques out there in the world. And it's available for everybody. They actually, I saw the other day I was at Costco. They actually have a sous vide kit at Costco. It's the coolest thing in the world. So if I'm doing like mashed potatoes, how do I do mashed potatoes sous vide? I make my big bulk, you know, my big batch of mashed potatoes. Then I put them in small little Ziploc, little uh, food sealer bags. I seal them. I put them in a sous vide and basically an immersion blender, some water, like a Cambro with water in there and an immersion circulator. And I keep them on the line at, you know, maybe 80, 90 degrees, right? So they're warm. And it's easy for me to pick them up and put them into a, into a new hotel pan and put them on the line for service. Sous vide will save your ass. I'm telling you right now. If you want higher quality stuff, smaller batch stuff, take a look into in doing some sous vide. And if you want to talk about it on your one-on-one -on -one calls with me, 
Let's talk about sous vide. Right? Node for node food production schedules. Again, this goes back to not having a prep list, not having times, not telling them when I want stuff done by. Number six, not using standardized recipes. Please tell me you're not guilty of this one. Everything has to have a recipe. Everything has to be made with a recipe. Everyone on your team has to use the recipes. I don't care if they've been there one week, one month, one year, 10 years. You want to have a standard that you use a recipe when you're making product in our kitchen. That's a standard. That is a non-negotiable. At Wolfgang Puck, there was recipes for everything. And I had made some of those recipes thousands of times over my five-year tenure at Wolfgang Puck. It did not matter. There's some recipes I knew by heart. It did not matter. Because the proper standard was you have the recipe card in front of you when you're making the recipe, because you know why it doesn't, it's not questioning if you know the recipe or not. He wants you to set the example for the other team members. So again, it doesn't matter if you've been there a week, a month, a year, 10 years, you want to set the standard that the recipe card is to be followed and used when you're doing production. <clears throat> it's not negotiable. Just like getting your paycheck every other Friday for them is a non-negotiable for them you have to have non-negotiables too. That's one of the few non-negotiables I am like furious about. Got to have recipe cards. They got to be in front of you. You got to use recipe cards when you're doing the dishes. Not cooking in small batches again. Now as seasons change and our volume changes, we got to be able to scale recipes up and down. Sometimes I don't need, you know, 10 quarts of marinara sauce. Maybe I only need a five. You want to have a couple of different things in your repertoire of having different batch recipes. Okay. No waste log used for items thrown out. The waste log is a huge tool. And I'll put, a, I'll put a, an upload of the waste log in today's replay. Waste logs, again, are used for training. Anything that goes in the trash that couldn't be sold, I need to know why. When I was at, you know, when I was at a place recently, I walk in in the morning and there's like three trays on the on the counter back by the dish tank, three trays of bacon burnt to a crisp. I mean, black as the night. And, and they use very, very expensive bacon. That's a lot of waste right there. It's a lot of food costs. But if I don't know why, and then about two days later, they burn the bacon again. How do you fix that? Freaking timer. <laughs> Remember, waste logs are designed as a training tool, not a punishment tool. Hashtag write that down. Use waste logs as a training opportunity, not a punishment tool. And you want to reiterate that with your team. The waste logs are to be used at all times. And then circle back to your core values. If you have integrity, respect, communication, those all tie into your core values, and they also all tie into using the waste logs properly. Bum, 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 service. And when we talk about service, this, isn't, this is more about uh, like the kitchen service, like plate up is another way to look at it. No standard portion sizes. If I walked back into your restaurant right now and ask your team, how many ounces of French fries do you put on the plate? 
who honestly could tell me that their team could tell me? You got to know the portion size for everything. Remember, and I've done this before. Remember, I've done build sheets. And I'll show you, and I'll put up build sheets for you guys. I'll show you what, if you've never seen a build sheet before. A build sheet is basically, basically, I call it like a, it's like a cheat sheet for them on the line. And if they're called different things in different markets. I mean, I call them build sheets. Some people call them plate specs. It depends where you're from. Let me show you what it looks like. All right, so this is the build sheet. And a build sheet basically is basically I take every item on my menu and I basically just do like a cheat sheet across the top. And I just blow, I, I make a PDF out of it and then I blow it up and I put it on the line, usually on the cooler so they can see it. So this is like, you know, this is like pasta, the saute, how much protein, how much sauce, how much heavy cream, how much butter. I put the exact amounts in there. How many ounces of spaghetti? How much garnish? This is a build. This you want everything on your plate. Everything in your restaurant should have a. You should have a build sheet for everything on your menu. Down to what the item is, how you how you start it with, what the protein is, the sauce, the heavy, whatever it is. Okay, I'll put a copy of this into the replay too. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. You can easily modify it. Okay. So I got summer build here, and then I got cooking times. Again, I give I give the team I give my team the tools they need to be successful. I tell them how long does it take to do this? What's the cooking time for pasta? What's the cooking time for blanching vegetables? What's the cooking time for meats on the grill and then finishing in a five hundred degree oven? I tell them exactly. If you want a fillet, it's two minutes thirty seconds each time. Turn ninety degrees thirty seconds, and then flip it and then repeat. If they want rare, one minute in the oven. If they want medium rare, three minutes in the oven. Medium well is five minutes. Medium, uh, medium is five minutes. Medium well, medium, well done is 10 minutes in a 500 degree oven. I tell them exactly how I want everything done. I take the guesswork out. The more you can help your team, I tell them exactly I want it done like this, all right? Like a, a pesto tuna. They do it on the grill. They do two minutes. 30 seconds, then they turn it 90 degrees, 30 seconds, then they flip it, do 30 seconds, then they flip it and do another 30 seconds. That's two minutes. If they want it rare, it does not go in the oven. Medium rare goes in the oven just for two minutes. Medium goes for three minutes. And look, I mean, that's not a lot of time difference. That's how you get from people going, I, I ordered my tuna medium rare too. I got it well done because the cook lost temp, you know, lost time. And how we do this at Nona's, we, did, we had timers. 
I had like five, six timers on the, on the, on the, on the counter with them. And they just basically just used it as they got going. Remember, share your expectations. Tell people what you want. Do not leave it up to chance. Okay. No standard size utensils for serving. Going back to that yield that yield sheet or that build sheet you saw, you saw like all the sauces was six ounces of sauces. And then there was like two ounces of heavy cream. I go back in the kitchen one time when we're doing training and I find a four ounce ladle in the heavy cream. What are you guys doing? How much heavy cream goes in a dish? Two ounces. Well, how come you got a four ounce ladle? Oh, I'll just do, I'll just do a half a ladle. Yeah, seriously. When you're fucking busy, you're going to stop and measure out half a ladle? No. Get a two ounce ladle. How <laughs> do I know you're not going to make mistakes? Give them the tools they need. Those little things, remember we talked about this, our very first quote. When you know the impact of the little expenses, you'll realize that there is nothing little in this world. And in the kitchen, everything is little. No records of food production again. Not keeping track of what my production was. How much did we make today? How much, how much marinara sauce did we make? If I'm not keeping track of my usage, and we're going to get into usage when we talk about prep. If I'm not tracking my usage, I can't see where the spikes are. And I also don't know if the team's portioning properly. If I know I'm doing a six-ounce ladle, right, and I got a gallon of sauce, how many ladles of six-ounce sauce should I have? Hmm? Anybody? 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 I got a gallon of sauce and I'm using a six ounce ladle. How many portions do I have? And I know everyone's like, I didn't expect to do math today. <laughs> Donald, I'm not awake enough to do math. Brian's accurate, 100%. 21.3, right? So we made, let's say, and this is, this is where production comes in. I make a gallon of marinara sauce. I'm using a six ounce ladle. I should get 21 orders out of this thing, right? Eight o'clock at night, the team goes, hey, we're out of marinara sauce. We, did, we made a gallon today and we're out already. Let me go look at the POS system. Now I look at the POS system and we only sold 16 pastas that had marinara sauce. What's the problem? They're overportioning. See, it's easy stuff, but it's stuff nobody does. It's stuff no one wants to look at because you know it requires a little legwork. But again, if you if you teach your team this kind of stuff, they're going to start understanding it a little bit better. Now, let's say like I made a gallon of Alfredo sauce. I got twenty one portions of Alfredo sauce. I mean, a gallon of Alfredo sauce. I'm using six ounce portions and I have it on four dishes. <laughs> Am I going to run out of a Frito sauce? Yeah, probably if I only make a gallon, definitely. 
this is where you start calculating my yields and also calculating what my usage is. So I know looking at my POS system, it's like, man, we sell, you know, we sell a lot of pasta dishes with Alfredo sauce. The average we sell a night is 40 different dishes combined together to have Alfredo sauce. If I'm selling 40 dishes a night, I need at least, at least two gallons. And that's just to meet what my, my normal sales are. What if we get a little bit busy? I might need a little bit of cushion, right? This is where all this stuff starts coming in. Okay. And of course, carelessness, spillage, waste, cold food. Hot food and hot, cold food, cold is one of the primary things that you want to remember. Hot food, hot, cold food, cold. Hot food, hot, cold food, cold. There's a, there's a guide to plating, the five rules of plating. Everybody heard of the five rules of plating? I will share with you the five rules of plating. Since we're talking about the service part. Five rules of plating. Hashtag write this down. Rule number one, hot food, hot, cold food, cold. That means I'm using hot warm plates when I'm putting on entrees and I'm actually try, trying, if I can, trying to use chilled plates when I'm doing cold dishes like salads and stuff like that. Rule number two for plating, proper plate, proper garnish. Sometimes the cooks will want to change the plates on you <laughs> because they think it looks better on a different plate. The problem is, is that the plate might be a different size and then they have to fill in all that extra space with more food. That's not good for you. Rule number three, food in the window together. This is where timing comes into a key thing. You wanna make sure that the, the team understands timing and gets food in the window. That comes from experience, also comes from massive, massive communication. If I walk back in your kitchen and I do not hear the team talking to each other, I can tell you right now what the problem is in your, in your restaurant. There's no communication on the line. Someone should be expo, and I, I like to expo from inside the kitchen. I like to expo when I'm on the line because I like to see things where they're at and everybody's at, and I have, I'm always talking. Of course, see me expo. I talk a lot, don't I? I mean, I talk a lot. Where are we at with this? I need us all day. I need five of those. I need three of those. Where are we at? How, how long on this? You guys going on table five? Where's table five at? I need everything else. I need, I'm, I'm dragging in this. I need this. Rule number four of the five rules of plating. Color, contrast, and texture. Monotone plates are boring looking. No one wants an all brown plate. And it's, it gets very, very, <laughs> it gets easy to do when you do a lot of comfort food. Mashed potatoes, gravy, all tends to look the same color. Spruce it up a little bit with some different color contrast. I love to use infused oils. An easy one to do is uh, like a spinach oil or a chive oil. A little drizzle on the plate makes it, gives it a little color pop. And then number five, hot food takes priority. Everyone runs hot food. 
all the servers at my restaurant knew you never, <laughs> if I said, Hey, table five's ready. It was a note, you know, you turn to me and say, that's not my table. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Everybody runs food. Hot food, hot, hot food's a priority. Hot food takes a priority over drinks. Hot food takes a priority over salads. Hot food takes a priority over desserts. Hot food is critical. And that's where food gets careless. And then when we talk about carelessness, is that's when food, food gets cold when sitting in the window too long. If you have a big restaurant, think about a pager system where you can page people on your team when the food's ready. I had a really cool page. I had a really nice pager system. It was from JTEC. They're still out in business. And I would just basically... And I remember like one of my, one of my sous chefs was, uh, it was his first night working expo. He's like, who, how do I know which person to page on the buzzer? I said, we don't individually page him. You hit page all <laughs> because they all run food. So anytime an order was up, you hit the all call button and everyone ran. Everyone knew hot food was a priority. Hot food, hot, cold food, cold. That's the five rules of plating. Let's talk about sales. Sales is another opportunity for the 40 thieves. Food taken out of the building. Hashtag write this down. You want to have a non-negotiable. No ticket, no food, no exception. If you have a bar, no ticket, no drink, no exception. <laughs> no one should ever make anything in your restaurant. Nothing should leave your restaurant without being accounted for. If you, want, if you give your team an employee meal, that's great. I love that. Make sure you ring it up somewhere and, and write it and then charge it off as an employee meal. But you got to track that stuff. Unrecorded sales are incorrect pricing. The no charge. This one also falls under the open food button. Oh, my God. I hate the open food button. I don't know why. Everyone in the world, when they go to do open food, always charges a dollar. <laughs> it's always the same. I see open food all the time. And I look at people's POS systems and I look at their open food button. They always like just ring in a dollar. What was that? Uh, shrimp? Shrimp was a dollar? Damn. I don't know about you. Avocados are expensive. When somebody gives me an avocado for a dollar, I'm like, thank you so much. You just killed your, your uh, owner's food cost. No, popular, no food popularity index or comparison of sales and inventory consumption. This is checking your POS system. Remember, I just talked about this a little while ago when talking about prep. I got a gallon of marinara, 128 ounces. I got six ounces of, late of sauce per thing. You could also do the math on this for your drinks. How many shots do you get out of a bottle of vodka? Standard 750 milliliter. How many, Brian? Brian knows. I think it's 27.5. You said what? 7.5? 27.5, I think. 7.5, yep. Brian says 17, we pour heavy. Yeah, you should get like 25, right? Exactly. But Brian says he pours heavy. So <clears throat> Brian, Brian's looking at his P-Mix one night, notices that, shit, man, God, man, they went through three, three bottles of vodka tonight, right? Three bottles of vodka. 
Now he knows he pours heavy. So he's maybe averaging, you know, he's saying 17 a bottle. And then he looks and then he looks at his sales and he says, well, I sold 41 <laughs> drinks with vodka tonight. We should have gotten at least 51, right? We only sold 41, but it went through three bottles. That means they're pouring super, super heavy. Remember, these are like these are little things you want to educate your team on. Because if they know that you know, <laughs> they're gonna be a little more aware. Brian, how many how many beers you get out of a keg? Yeah, see, Brian knows exactly 96. Brian can look at his POS system right away and he can tell. And he's also probably accounting a little bit for waste, right? Yeah. For foam, stuff like that. But if he's blowing a keg and the numbers aren't matching up, that means either one, sales aren't being recorded, people are giving away drinks, or they're really messing up. They need like a need to be trained out of how to pour better. That's all. It's all education. No sales records to detect 10 trends. This again, every, every month you should just look at your POS system and just do a, a monthly 30-day P&L or a, you know, a product mix review, a P mix review, just to see what's, what's selling, what's not selling. Here's the thing too, your team, and I, and I say this in all nice, and I say this with all due respect, and I mean all due respect, your team gets very bored very quickly. They want to mix up the menu a lot. They want to mix up the mixed drinks. They want to change up the wines. They want to change up the beers a lot. Just because they're bored doesn't mean your guests are bored. Don't get on to the, let's try something new every other week. <laughs> Poor pricing of menu items. We'll talk about that more as we get into the food cost boot camp and also the menu engineering thing. But poor pricing of menu items is another huge thing. Employee meal cost, number six, overproduction, unauthorized meals. This usually, a lot of times I hate to say this is usually the kitchen. Kitchen meal makes something real quick. And again, I don't mind the kitchen eating. I just want to, I want to track it. That's all. Make it a standard. Hey, I don't got, you guys want to have a hamburger, man. That's great. Have a burger, but just make sure that one of the managers brings it up. And don't load up with foie gras. <laughs> don't load up with foie gras and bacon. And then not running specials on items that were overproduced. I don't like the word specials myself. I like to word, use the word features. But features should be used to run items that you're, are overproduction. And occasionally to run items on your menu that you're testing out for new menu items. But just like everything else, there should be a process in place for features. Do not give your team, especially your culinary team, do not give them carte blanche to just go crazy and create stuff. Everyone wants to do the creative shit. No one wants to do the financial shit. Remember, I got to draw a line somewhere. Remember, I tell you, I tell you the story all the time. Remember my first restaurant and my second restaurant. My first restaurant, I felt I had to do it all myself. My second restaurant, my kind of mantra became, it's not my job to run the restaurant. It's my job to teach my team how to run a restaurant. Learning how to cost out a recipe is a vital thing if you ever want to run a restaurant. Teaching my team how to cost out recipes became my number one driver. I'm going to teach them how to cost them out. So then when they came to me with features, first thing I would ask him, let me see a recipe. Let me see the costing on it. 
number one, if I can even menu it, it might not even be a, a match for my menu. And then we taste it. Because here's my thing. If I like it, I, may, I need to know you have a recipe card in place so you can reproduce it. And I also need to know it's costed out so I can actually make some money at it. My team knew, don't even come to me with a feature unless you had those two things in place. You have a recipe card for it and you got to have it costed out before you even come to me. And I get that all the time in the kitchen. I see guys all the time. Oh, hey, hey, Cora, taste this. Hey, I, I made this. Today. Hey, try this, try this, try this. They all just want, you know, they want the acknowledgement that they're creative. Oh, yeah, that's great. But it doesn't do me any good if you don't have a recipe card for it. How can you reproduce it? And then they go back and they struggle. And I've done that. I've done that freaking Hail Mary. Oh, shit. What did I put in there? And then I scramble to try to write it all down. Sucks doing that. Right? These 40 thieves of food cost, and we talk about the PL management. We talk about there's top line management, build my sales, awesome bottom line management. I want to control the bleeding. The 40 thieves of food cost will help you control that bottom line. They will help you control your costing. They will also help you control your standards and expectations. Here's what you got to do hashtag write this down. You must know where the bleeding is to stop it. When I was in pararescue, when I went through paramedic training, the first thing you do is you walk up on somebody, you do a very fast body scan. You check ABCs, airway, bleeding, circulation. It's the first thing I check. If I walk up on an unconscious person on the, on the ground, if I walked out of my apartment, you know, my condo, and I saw someone on the ground, first thing I do, I walk up, airway, are they breathing, Right. Bleeding, I do a body search real quick, see if they have any blood on them, if there's any pools of blood, and I check circulation, check their pulse. You gotta know where the bleeding's at. You can't, I cannot produce, I cannot give you diagnostics and I cannot give you tools to fix stuff if you don't know where the bleeding's at. Which will leads us da, 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 to your homework. Remember, seven modules here. Take it one step at a time. Stay on top of the homework and you won't get too far behind, okay? Your homework. Use the 40 Thieves as a checklist to identify your weakness. And then I want you to create a 90-day action plan to correct them. Use the 40 Thieves as a checklist to identify your weakness. Weaknesses, probably. And create a 90-day action plan to correct them. Final thoughts. Food cost is probably one of the most important and heavy, heavy things that, and I know it's not the fun, glamorous stuff we like to do in restaurants. It's not like creating dishes or cooking and interacting with guests and having fun and people having a great time, but it's the number one thing that will kill you faster than anything if you don't get control of it. So again, next week, we're going to hit inventory. I'm going to show you the ins and outs of doing a great inventory system, so how you can master your inventory and then how you can teach your team how to do inventory. Fair enough. Any questions, comments, or complaints? If not, I'm going to say thank you so much for stopping by today. Thank you for listening. I will get the replay up and I will add those downloads that we talked about today into the replay in the members area. Also, if you didn't notice, I also uploaded a new audiobook, My Outstanding Mindset, 
audio book. It's a real easy listen. It's like an hour and a half. It's an easy listen. I highly recommend you listen to it, especially if you're struggling with time management. Listen to Outstanding Mindset a couple times. It's in your members area. You all have access to it. Okay. Where did you say it was in the members area again? Uh, the audio book for Outstanding Mindset. Oh, it's its own thing? Yeah, it's its own product. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Everyone have a fantastic day. And most of you, I'll talk to you pretty soon on your one-on-one. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Coach Podcast with Donald Burns. Tune in next time as we serve up more ways to maximize your potential. Visit our website at www.therestaurantcoach.com or download episodes at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify.